Welcome to the WSO Weekly Wrap-Up, where I talk with my team about the five most trending discussions in the Wall Street Oasis community. Enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Weekly Wrap-Up. We have This is becoming more of a monthly wrap-up. Apologies to all you who uh, do enjoy these. Uh, but we'll, uh, and Matt has some, uh, I think, what, three topics today we're going to talk about, Matt? Yeah, three topics. Forums have been hot. It's been busy recruiting season. We know that January through to April. So first topic, we're going to kick things off with, guys. Uh, when did the recruiting get so bad? So a little bit of background here. Wharton grad just talking to the forums, giving his experiences uh, on just recruiting this year. Obviously, Pat, you've gone to Wharton, so we're going to get your uh, your kind of feedback there in a bit. But let's hit Brian first. Brian, you want to get some insights? Uh, let's, let's, welcome Bri- let's welcome Brian, new face yeah. here. Brian, you want to give a little, uh, the listeners a little bit of background about your, uh, your, your background? Yeah, so uh, went to liberal arts college, graduated in 2018, started my uh, time in IB at Evercore in New York, uh, doing primarily M&A advisory before transitioning over to PE, um, you know, where I focused on industrials and healthcare investing. Uh, and I just recently joined the Wall Street Oasis team here as the chief of staff. Boy, it's been uh, it's been a whirlwind. It's been about six or seven weeks now, officially, I think. And uh, look, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I'm excited to be on the pod. Awesome. Right on. So let's uh, let's just jump into it here, I guess, guys. So when the recruiting gets so bad, Brian, we'll hit you up first. Any uh, any insights on what you're seeing so far in the industry? I know we've been doing a lot of interviews with the academy, hearing some people's experiences, but just want to kind of hear what you're seeing uh, in the industry uh, from like a recruiting standpoint. Yeah, look, I think, you know, 10 years ago when I was recruiting for the first time, I mean, this puts us back in like 2016, 2017, you know, definitely pre-COVID, right? I think logically, you know, you would recruit your full junior year, right? So junior fall for your junior year, summer internship. Seems logical enough, right? Uh, now, you know, having to pay attention to investment banking recruiting for the first time in like six or seven years, I'm coming back to the game and realizing that now you have to apply as a as a sophomore spring student for your junior year summer internship. So nobody even knows if you've got a sophomore, you know, sophomore gig lined up. RBC opened in September, so fall. Sophomore year? Yeah, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say fall. <laughs> I think that's fall time. And then December fourth, there was a rush of banks uh, yeah. that came forward. I think it was uh, Blue Hand, Rothschild, uh, what other? A couple others already released. Now we have a whole host: Wells, JPM, all open uh, right now. We're in January eleventh right now. This is just crazy. Yep. Anyways, I think yeah. the the thread itself, the discussion on the site, I think it was someone from Wharton that was a little bit upset saying, you know, this is not like a sure thing anymore. And then I think he didn't get that much sympathy uh, yeah. in the thread because I think there's a lot of kids from non-targets that would, you know, give their left arm to be at Wharton to have the on-campus recruiting that, that he has access to. Um, I think one of the interesting comments uh, that was actually ranked most helpful in the thread was about how there's a lot of banks outside the bullish brackets elite, elite boutiques and a lot of people get kind of uh, myopic and say, hey, I have to be at one of these, you know, 10 banks or it's all failure. And, you know, I think this, this commenter rightly pointed out, like sometimes you get paid more at these, uh, boutique, smaller banks and sometimes, and, and almost always your work-life balance is, is better, but I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think it's just the expectations, but I think people don't even recognize how difficult it is to even break into the industry as a whole. Like even when we have some of these interviews, I'm speaking with kids and a lot of individuals want to hit the bulge brackets, which obviously is a good goal to have, but the likelihood of that happening is extremely small. I don't think people even just recognize that 
odds for anyone even coming from top targeted programs is only about 3% for the industry as a whole. So obviously if we're not even looking into the bulge bracket space, that's going to get even incrementally smaller. So I think it's about establishing like those expectations. Obviously, yes, brand name is going to be a huge impact on people's CVs and just their careers in general. But I think the career in itself is a fantastic career. It gives you a lot of kind of exit ops in the future, but then also just the understanding that you know everyone has to start from somewhere. So even if it's not that top top program that you want to get into, just getting into the field is going to be good enough as it own as it is. Kind of get that experience after a few years. And you can always move up market. I think oftentimes people are a little bit too short time for, uh, short sighted in terms of where they want to be. But oftentimes just get into the role there, and then from there, obviously just moving up market um, after getting some uh, years of experience could be helpful. But Pat, one one kind of comment for you here because I think. Uh, it's obviously not as bad as when you graduated from Morton. I know your whole story was, you know, it was in 2008, obviously a very, very scary time for kind of trying to get into banking. Uh, do you think some of these things that people are seeing now from like a recruiting perspective, not necessarily the, the, the timelines, but just like the competitive nature where even going to Wharton is not guaranteeing you, uh, you know, like a top, top firm from like an investment banking perspective. Do you think that's more of a um, factor based off just the overall markets and the hiring markets there? Or do you think it's just a function of just the increased competition uh, trying to break into the industry as a whole? Um, I think it's probably a, a little bit more market related. Like when things are strong on the on the deal side, most Wharton kids, if they're somewhat prepped, are going to be getting pretty good offers from banks. Like they're it's it's pretty rare if they've done their work. Um, there is probably a little bit of a function. Of, it, it is a little bit of a function of like there's just being more kids that are prepped, especially from like state schools and non-targets. You see a lot more like IB workshops at like non-targets where they're really prepping these kids and then uh, more programs like you know just wso academy like there's more kids that are ready that understand that they have to network early um now that's all that offset a little bit for the function of like things moving so early so you get you know by shifting earlier and earlier and earlier every single year what the banks are kind of doing is saying hey no you have to have known about this for your freshman year or your early sophomore year to even yeah. be competitive and so i don't like it it, it frustrates me because it gives us less time to actually make our kid, our own kids more competitive. Um, yeah. But it's something that's just the reality. I don't, I don't see it changing anytime soon. And I don't think there's anything we can do to, to stop it. So. Yeah. And even just to add on to that, even though like the recruiting timeframes have even been pushed up, I even think just from like a prep perspective, prep has to start now as early as your, as your first year at university, just simply around the, like, the networking side of things. If we know, you know, spring of, of sophomore, of sophomore season, you're going to be applying even to, to internships, those networking efforts have to come off the back of, you know, your first year of university, realistically, your, your winter or, or, or uh, sorry, that fall or that winter season. Um, and realistically, it's just such an early time frame. So yeah, I just, kind of I just spoke with a 19 year old who's a sophomore has a 3.97 GPA at, uh, I think it was USC and, you know, has, you know, part of a frat that's pretty well placed at like Blackstone and he's stressing out because he's like, I'm behind on networking. I'm like, unfortunately, I have to say, yes, <laughs> I agree. You are behind. Yeah. And like, it's just insane to be, I have to say that to a, to a 19 year old um, that, yeah, you need to get going because, you know, 90% of the banks are open. So um Cool. Let's move to the next topic. Yeah. Yeah. On the, I was going to just jump here on the topic of insane. Another uh, trending topic here, I think is going to be funny. So instead of 19 year olds prepping for banking, we had someone here 30 years old inheriting a million bucks. So I'm going to start off with Brian here. A uh, question in the forums was, what would you guys do if you inherited 5 million bucks, 30 year old? Uh, so we're going to hear from you first, Brian, you get five, 5 million bucks gifted to you. What's the first things you're going to be doing uh, with that? Uh, I'd put it in a high yield savings account and go back to work the next day. Uh, <laughs> T-bills. No, what, but... what are, are T-bills paying nowadays? Still 4% <laughs> or is it 5%? What, what is that? I don't know. But well, you're 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 five and a half still, I think. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the, the ethos there, right, and the, the thought process there, right, is like, you don't, I don't think you qualify for, um, you know, 
uh, what is it, Medicare until you're like 65, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you know, you can't draw on your 401k. So that $5 million, if you want to do like a fire type thing, it's really all you're sitting on. At 30 years old, look, I don't know if you're at a, you know, at a point where you've already had kids or you're doing some family planning, you know, you're, you're sitting on some real estate. But if we went from $0 in my checking account to $5 million at 30, Functionally, that shouldn't change your lifestyle much uh, if you're if you're you know looking to spend it wisely and already work in high finance. Yeah, yeah, I agree I, on that. I definitely think five million is not enough nowadays to to be like smooth sailing into the sunset. But Pat, let's hear your thoughts on that. I think yeah, if you have kids better. and you live in California like me, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> what, That's what, like what, uh, table stakes. Just that you can't even get like a you can't even get a, a large home for that uh, around. No. You can't even get a home. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the lower middle class, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's constantly getting squeezed, but yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it. it you know, there were some comments in the forum uh, saying, you know, yeah, I, I could just retire off of this and stuff. And I think if you are looking to stay single, absolutely, I think you could yeah. have a very relaxing cushion life. But I think, but most people get bored, especially people in that have that kind of finance personality where they need to be, you know, they're actually happier when they're pushed and driven and uh, learning new things. So, I think. As much as it is nice to kind of dream of uh, sipping a cocktail on a beach and never doing uh, any work in the future, it can be pretty um, pretty boring yeah. and depressing. I, I, I and think people overlook that, right? On paper, it sounds like a nice, but I think the hardest part too is even once, once you become successful, I, oftentimes I, I read about this, you find trouble trying to find other people to kind of spend that time with. So even to say you're retired at 30 years old, for instance, like myself, if I was retired, I am 30 now, what am I going to be like? I'll, I'll, Are, you sure 30, Matt? Couple, Are you 30, Matt? Are you 30? Well, give me four more months. I'm gonna be oh, 30. my God. Dirty uh, 30s is coming. Um, but, yeah, no, it is. Um, but just the point I'm trying to make, they're like, you know, what What would I do as, a, as an individual for after, you know, say two, three months of fun, I travel around a little bit. If I truly wanted to just say, say stop work, like what else am I going to do? There, there's You, know, you got to find people to do things with. It, it, stuff does get boring pretty quickly. Um, I would also add on just to the context of this conversation. It also depends on where the money is coming from. Let's say, you know, if I invested in a invested in crypto or some from some other area of uh, of the world, I get gifted this money. Sure, maybe I might be a little bit more uh, inclined to maybe want to just maybe spend a little bit just from like a fun perspective. But if it's like an inheritance from family, I don't think I'm going to go out and splurge. I think obviously be a little bit more respectful on on where that money is coming from. That's how I would kind of change um, where I'd spend that. Definitely would have to have, like to have a little bit of fun, um, but not too too much. And I agree with Brian's point. Definitely would have to start working again because. Um, Especially with the family, uh, going to need some some money to kind of survive. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I would I, w- I would personally take it and run away to to a cabin in the Midwest, and you'd never hear from <laughs> me again. Uh, you know, live a nice and quiet life. Uh, me and my cat. Uh, you know, but, you know, to each their own. And look, I, I think if you're already in high finance, like you know, to echo Pat's point, right? You're somebody who's already a pretty driven individual. Likely, will get bored pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah, agree on that. So let's get on to the third uh, topic here, guys. Uh, this next one here, please tell me I look forward to PE. So I think obviously, Brian, Pat, you guys are going to have some nice insight on this here. Essentially, topic on the forums here was individual coming from investment banking, uh, working upwards of the 90 to 100 hour uh, kind of time frame there, which is pretty common. You said industry. 110 hours per week. Yeah, 110, 110, which, <laughs> which, Pat, to your point, that incremental 10 hours is a lot when you're already doing like, say that 100. I know that incremental level, I think you mentioned around like the 70, 80 mark when each additional hour becomes that much more painful. Uh, but nonetheless, obviously, this person is just looking to get some insights, you know, is is product equity going to be a bit of, better, bit of a better lifestyle? He's getting an offer. Um, into that. Um, so just want to kind of hear your guys' thoughts or even just shed some light on the whole industry, given that you guys have both uh, worked there previously. So we started with Brian last time, Pat, we'll hit you up first and then we'll go to Brian uh, after that. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, 
you know, it depends on what PE fund you go to, right? I think Megafund PE has a pretty bad rep for a good reason. They'll pay you bank. Like you can be making four or 500 right out of banking, but they will grind you pretty hard. Um, and so there was one comment here says, as someone who did the tough IB grind works in Megafund PE, now I can firmly say that is worse. <laughs> so uh, I didn't give him much hope. Uh, yeah. And so I think it... You know, it's it's really a question of like the thing is you're making like life changing money for a lot of people. You know, in in one year, uh, one or two years, and so um, some people are willing to suck that up. It's just hard when you stack it right after IB. Yeah, uh, you had a rough IB stint. So Brian, I don't know what your your stint was like at, at Evercore at Rothschild. For me, I was doing probably not 110, but I probably averaged like 80 plus, and it would scale up to like 110 on the worst weeks. Um, you know, not yeah. worth 10 hours, but like in the office, 110 hours. Yeah. And look, this, this individual, you know, he's coming from investment banking going to mega fund P. I would say, look, the, the hourly commitment there, um, you know, might be plus or minus 10 hours, right? What it was in banking. However, keep in mind, you know, private equity, the world of private equity is a much less forgiving environment than, you know, being a 22-year-old analyst in investment banking just out of college. That's essentially, you know, a training mill. Um, and so, you know, from that perspective, private equity tends to be a lot more stressful, right? The sleep that you are getting, you find that, you know, your thoughts are more, are more, are more shrouded by, you know, uh, by, uh, by, uh, by stress and, and likely getting less REM sleep at night. And so private equity, just fundamentally, you know, things matter, right? And so it's a, it's a much more stressful environment. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, well, it depends. Like, Sometimes banking you pretty stressful for kids, especially come from a liberal oh, sure. background like us. If you're those yeah. first six months are pretty painful. <laughs> I remember, and I think, well, I had a I had a different experience for PE for me was just actually it felt like um, initially it felt like um, you know pretty pretty lax compared to banking. Um, although you know I did get fired three months into my first PE gig, so maybe that's why. <laughs> maybe that was my <laughs> mistake. So uh, you know, I think in terms of uh, in terms of actual, you know, mega. Well, there's a lot less guard. There's a lot less guardrails too, right? There's I think that was the rails. that was the that's the genesis of our course, the deals process course, essentially just providing that insight because you'll hop into the PE realm of things and you don't have that oversight that you get in the IB world, especially as like that analyst and that associate. It's really just like here, and you're expected to kind of just kind of do things on your own based off. Yeah, of I always product. joke they tell you when you can go to the bathroom and IB and the PE, they like ignore you and won't talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean there, there, I guess there's a little bit of pros and cons in that front I guess depending on your learning style but yes if you do like that much more like systemized approach or at least having that oversight to kind of be directing you forward then might be a little bit of a learning curve ramp up there uh, but to end off this conversation I guess at least a glimmer of hope does in is the PE industry once you kind of get your feet wet there get through two three years in the industry does it get a little bit better as you move the ranks uh, in the industry or do you think it's still difficult even if you start getting to like that VP level and then even higher I uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I, I I personally take the view that look as you start getting above the associate level and heck the senior associate and junior VP level, it actually gets gets worse uh, because <laughs> you know because right it, now now you're having to actually uh, answer the questions of a lot of portfolio companies. Right, you're gonna you're you're playing you know you're wearing your CFO hat a lot more often. Right, you're really the one quarterbacking each and every deal uh to make you know your your partners happy um and you know as you get closer to that carry bucket right things become a little more stressful but i would say look uh the flip side of that right is that 
fundamentally the, the the work becomes more interesting, right? Knowing that you know you're somebody who's coming in uh, from a principal investing perspective with skin in the game, uh, right? It tends to be a much more intellectually stimulating exercise than you know your tr traditional IB M and A do. Yeah, I think I agree. Yeah, I think it's I think the work was really interesting in PE. Um, if Wall Street Oasis hadn't uh, become a real business while I was at Warden, then I probably would be back in PE. Um, that being said, um, I think probably the worst part about the job, um, as you start getting carry and stuff, is probably just more of the politics of the fund and trying to navigate that because it can get pretty, you know, elbows can get pretty sharp as you get higher up and everyone's trying to angle and, you know, be buddy buddy with the par certain partners. And there's these weird dynamics, inter, -par inter partner dynamics that you have to uh, navigate um, and, and be somewhat savvy around that stuff. So it's not just like the intellectual exercise of like, is this a good investment or not? There's also, um, you know, what deals are yours or is your, you know, what partner are you, you know, kind of aligning with? Um, and so that's, that I think can add to stress as well, but yeah, yeah no, of course, of course. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think that was a good conversation for, for this month's, uh, pod. So, uh, I guess we'll be looking forward to another round of this in about a month. I guess that's what the cadence will be doing. Yeah. Hopefully uh, well, we'll call it, keep hopefully calling it quicker. The week, yeah. we'll call it the weekly wrap up, but maybe we'll, uh, maybe it's, it's so, more realistic to be a monthly wrap up. Yeah. Either way, we'll surprise the audience here with another one, but, uh, appreciate, uh, Brian Pat's time today and, uh, we'll look forward to doing this again. All right. Talk soon guys. Bye. And thanks to you, my listeners at wall street oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.